I got to go to the dentist this week. Anybody else get to go to the dentist this week? All right, I shared the experience. And we all know how much we love going to the dentist, right? I mean, there's nothing better than a good trip to the dentist for a solid teeth cleaning and drilling a little bit and just getting about a dozen x-rays. I mean, that's all super fun stuff for us, right? Raise your hand if you love going to the dentist. Okay, there are some people that actually love. Okay, you are the special people in this crowd. Here's why I mentioned going to the dentist. Is there anyone more persevering, more persistent, more willing to stubbornly hold on to their principles than your dental hygienist. Because at least for me, every time I go in, I get the same reminders. Are you flossing every day? We have this little brush, this little tiny brush called a Proxa brush. You can actually fit that thing between your teeth and floss them even better. I know you want to hear about my dentist trips to the nth detail, don't you? I actually admire persistent people. And so I admire all dental hygienists because they pretty much know what they're going to face with most of us. There are some of you that are quite good at keeping, t taking care of your teeth, and that's very admirable. But that dental hygienist, I'm convinced that they're all selected for their ability to persist against immense odds to get us to keep our teeth clean in between visits to the dentist. In a moment, I'm gonna share a story with you about another person that is famed for their perseverance. Before we get there though, I just want you, to, I wanna frame our reading for this morning in terms of that one word, perseverance. I once preached uh, a message at uh, a meeting of some Lutherans that were sharing in the responsibility of doing some world mission work. And I talked about this, like, like I said, I admired this quality in people of perseverance. And afterwards, my friend who was at that meeting came up and said, you do realize, don't you, that there is a shadow side, a dark side to perseverance. And the Bible actually talks a lot about that shadow side to perseverance. It's when we persevere in our sinful attitudes, our sinful hearts, and our sinful actions, and won't listen to others who try to get us back on track. The Bible actually has a word for this that's borrowed from their agricultural background. The, the Israelites, they called it being stiff-necked from farm animals that weren't, they weren't ready and willing to be under the yoke. And he said, he says many times in the Old Testament to the Israelites, God does, he says, you people are being stiff-necked. You won't remain under my yoke and turn in the direction that I want you to turn. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. And if you'll just um, think about these terms, perseverance and stiff-necked, you're going to see this morning that Jesus actually has some words for us and how do we help one another in the family. This is all about us helping one another not to be stiff-necked people. And we're in Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to read it for you. It'll be up on the screen as well. It's also in your program. 
starting with verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I told you that I would tell you a story about someone that I really admire for their perseverance. Anyone here ever heard the name Ernest Shackleton? Oh, good. I will get to share the story of Ernest Shackleton with you for the first time. Ernest Shackleton was um, an explorer in the age of the most famous explorers, uh, early 1900s, and he was in a contest with several other, um, especially British guys, but others as well, Sir Edmund Hillary Scott and others, names you probably have heard. Ernest Shackleton wanted to transverse the entire Antarctic continent. So he started out on this expedition, and if you haven't heard about this gentleman, please, like, Google him, find out more. There are YouTube series about him. But he ends up with this boat stuck in ice as he tries to sail to a place where they can actually get out and cross the Antarctic continent. 1,800 miles, something like that, of a hike. They have to have depots along the way. So now their ship is stuck in ice over the winter. By the grace of God, somehow the, the ship does not get crushed during the winter, but as soon as the ice flows begin to melt, Shackleton's immediately getting excited because he thinks the boat will come free, but instead all the, the ice flows begin to ebb and sway, and the boat ends up being crushed and filling with water, and they have to abandon ship. First of all, on some ice flows. They're not even on land. And they're floating along on these ice flows, and, and they have an expert navigator so they can see that they are getting close to an island called Elephant Island. Eventually, that ice flow begins to break up. And they're able to take the, the, the lifeboats that they brought with them from their ship and climb into them. Now, mind you, this is the Antarctic. It's freezing cold. And they're sailing in these open lifeboats to try to get to Elephant Island. And again, only by the grace of God, if you read the whole story in detail, you, you'll get the idea of why I keep saying only by the grace of God. They make it to Elephant Island, but they are nowhere close to civilization. In fact, even though they're on solid ground on Elephant Island, in many ways they're further from civilization because boats just don't go where they have gotten themselves stuck. 
So Shackleton says, I, I've got to do something about this. No one's coming here to find us or rescue us. And so he gets in another open boat, one of the largest ones that he can find, with an 800-mile open sea journey ahead of him and several others just to get to land and hope that they can reach this whaling station that's in another region of the Antarctic. It's the closest place they can get. So they go through, and by a miracle, they end up getting to land, to the island where this whaling station is. And the winds and the ocean won't let them get around to where this town is. They're 32 miles short. The problem is, between them and that whaling station is a mountain range that is covered with ice and sharp crags and cracks, cr crevasses in the Antarctic continent. And they have to somehow find a way with no climbing equipment, no walking on ice equipment to cross those 32 miles and live so that they can tell people, come back around here. So Shackleton ends up making this journey successfully, 32 miles. There have been people who tried it since. He did it in the early 1900s. It wasn't until the 1950s that someone was even able to duplicate it with climbing equipment. What Shackleton is now known for is that perseverance that caused him to say, let's, let's just keep taking another step in the direction that we're going and maybe somehow we'll get there. And when you hear these stories, you have to admire these guys. But as I said earlier, when relating my story to the dentist, about the dentist trip, all of this stubbornness, all of this perseverance has this dark side. And maybe you're familiar with that in your own heart. If you've ever had someone try to tell you, um, Jeff, I think you're going in the wrong direction here. I, I think you're headed into sin, and that sin is going to lead you into self-destruction, and you're going to only end up hurting yourself and hurting your relationship to God, and you find your backbone stiffening, but not in a good way, stiffening against turning to the left or the right in repentance. And what Jesus gives us today is this beautiful picture of what to do when we find ourselves uh, that, that we would be willing to submit to this process when our hearts are becoming hardened, when our hearts are uh, finding it difficult to repent of a sin. That here's a pattern that you and I can hope someone else will lead us through. It's also a pattern, a helpful pattern for us to deeply care about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. So I want to I start with um, just this first verse, chapter 18, verse 15. We'll put that up on the screen for you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Don't we all love those tough conversations? You've noticed a person who's committing a sin against you, maybe, 
against someone else. I don't know about your first impulse, but my first impulse is run. I don't want to have anything to do with confrontation. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with this. Leave me out. You know what's interesting? Jesus says there's no place to leave us out. Jesus is super clear. If your brother or sins, sister sins, go and point it out. Now, this is not meant by Jesus to be a license to fight every battle and pick on everybody else's sin. The real problem in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, is always not that a person sins, but that a person is continuing in that sin unrepentedly. You don't get yourself in all that. Now, I'm not trying to defend sin or, or say that sin is something light. Not at all. Sin is important. Any sin, even a single sin, is important. But where we get into real trouble, and this is clear throughout the Bible, is that stiff-necked thing. Where we commit a sin, we know we're in the wrong, and we go ahead and keep doing it anyway. This is the person that Jesus is talking about here, and he says, we have a duty, a responsibility of love to protect them, to protect the church family, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And what should we do first? What's the very first step? It's a very quiet step. Just go and have the talk. Maybe what you thought you saw wasn't what you really saw. Could be. Maybe this person already is repentant over their sin and, and they look at you and they go, I know. I know what I did was wrong and I need God's help and I need your help to work at this. Will you help me? Maybe it's that easy. And maybe, yes, maybe the person is perseverant in all the wrong ways and stubborn and something more will have to be done. But what does Jesus say? Look at this. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, what's happened? Here's the goal, the beauty. You've won your brother or your sister over. You've brought them back to walking in the path that God wants them to walk. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, this isn't just found from Jesus. There's another passage I, I actually wrote down in your notes. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For, and and, and it's, it's very similar. We are all members of one body. Paul's reminding us, you want to win your brothers and sisters over, as Jesus said. We want to keep this family together. So here's the first point. Don't avoid issues. Have the tough conversations. Go and talk to your brother or sister in Christ just between the two of you alone. Here's what I want you to fill in. Too often, obstinate people are left to drift off course for far too long because issues are left to fester. What does that beautiful dental hygienist know about us? If she doesn't or he doesn't clean your teeth, and if ca cavities are left to sit there, pretty soon there's going to be root canals. 
And after that, there's going to be teeth removals. They've seen enough of this to know what's coming if the issues aren't addressed. So number one, don't avoid. Have the tough conversations. Don't leave issues to fester. Now, where do we go from there? Let's, let's, uh, let's take uh, the next passage, beginning at Matthew 18, 16. But if they will not listen, now what do you do? I want to, I'm going to just leave that up for you to study for a moment. Because I'm going to tell you that I think there are two major catch points in doing what Jesus says. We've already talked about the first catch point. The first catch point in doing what Jesus says here when we're faced with obstinate people is, I just don't want to deal with it. It's too stressful. I can't handle a tough conversation like this. The first catch point is within us to just get ourselves motivated with God's help to go have the tough conversation. But there is a second one. And the second one is a little bit like the Pontius Pilate move. Once you've had the tough conversation, you know what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted within yourself to say, I've had that conversation. I did talk to that person. And they clearly don't want to listen to me. They're being obstinate and stubborn and stiff-necked. What did Pontius Pilate do? I wash my hands of the situation. What does Jesus say? Does Jesus allow us to say, I wash my hands of the situation because I've already had the tough conversation? Look at what Jesus says. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. When I read this, I want to go, what? Because guess what happens if I do that, Jesus? With all my heart, I'm going, they're going to know I think this is really a tough, serious issue, and now I'm escalating it. I'm not letting go of it, and I'm going to be determined to do something about it, and what are they going to think of me? Especially because, what? I'm also a sinful person. It's, it's one thing to have a tough conversation, but to press the conversation forward when I'm also a sinful, fault-filled person and say, we've got to get this squared away, we've got to get this taken care of, they're just going to think I'm arrogant, an arrogant fool. And yet... And yet, we have these words of Jesus. And what do these words of Jesus represent? They represent something going on inside of us that we have to make a choice between. Fear of being thought of as arrogant, judgmental, foolish, and a deep desire to do whatever it takes to keep the family together. And the family will fragment if sin is allowed to take root within it. This is what Jesus knows. This is what happened to the Israelites. It's why he called the Israelites stiff-necked people, because that, that stubbornness 
if you know the story of the Old Testament, it ended up demolishing them as the family of God. Now, we're much smaller than the millions of Israelites here at Amazing Love, but it's the same story. And so Jesus says, they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Those Those are hard words, hard words to follow. Because we want to be merciful and grace-filled as our Savior is merciful and grace-filled. And I already told you today, uh, you're going to get sick of me saying this. There's an and. There's an and. When Jesus is described, we're going to read this passage in a few minutes, he's described as being full of grace and, anybody know what the next word is? and truth and and when jesus full of grace and full of truth comes and deals with us in our sins of course he forgives them that's why he died on the cross for us that's why he rose from the grave to say the victory is yours and as you read through the gospels you can't help but take note that those who were obstinate and stubborn in their sin, often the Pharisees, for example, that Jesus confronted them. He spoke to them, not just once, but over and over again. Why? Because he loved hovering over them in judgment? No. Because he wanted, with the huge heart that Jesus has for all people, to win them over to help them understand he was their savior and that eternal life is theirs through him if only they will believe it. And so Jesus comes and he gives us a beautiful model. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. I think we've got it here too. See what the apostle Paul writes? Therefore, encourage one another. This is not a matter of judgment that Jesus is talking about. This is a matter of taking a stiff-necked animal in, in, in the metaphor and trying as hard as you can to get that stiff-necked animal going in the direction that he needs or she needs to go. This is a matter of encouragement, Paul writes. Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing This is the whole job of the church. I don't know if you've ever uh, framed it this way before. Encourage one another and build each other up just as you were doing. That's why you are here. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why didn't Jesus just take me after I became a believer. I mean, that would be the way to work in my mind is, oh, that person's a believer. That person just got baptized. That person has turned it around and they're believing again. And then a hand comes down from heaven and just grabs them up. There, got that one. Why doesn't Jesus do that? 
Well, the, the reason is we're here to help each other. And that's what Jesus is laying down for us here. We're here to help each other. And when we see each other drifting out of stubbornness or stiff-necked attitudes in our hearts, it's important to have that conversation and maybe the follow-up conversations. Did you notice that Jesus says it's not a one-step process, it's a four-step process? And at each stop along the way, by the way, it doesn't mean that you just do that one stop once. That private conversation, that might happen once. That private conversation might happen three or four times before you move on to the next destination and bring two or three others along. And then you might stay there for a little while, just talking to this individual with you and several others, hoping that you can convince this obstinate person to repent and turn around, or if it's you as the obstinate person, they're hoping to restore you back and bring you along, and so on and so forth. So this process, I can tell you, because it's given by the Son of God, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, if we trust it, if we trust it and flow with it, God will bless it. He will bless it in this church and keep our families strong together. So, what's the point? Point two, leverage the power of the church family to the advantage of God's righteousness and truth. We want people walking, as it says in Psalm 23, on the path of righteousness that God has for us. So we don't give up after the first conversation because time and persuasion do matter. We have to give people time to make this adjustment. And that's why it's not always just one time for each action along this pathway. Maybe I'm going to talk to you, or you're going to talk to me. And at first, I'm a little resistant if it's you talking to me. But if it's given a little bit of time to sink in, a little bit of time to ask questions, a little bit more time to talk, time and persuasion can help. And Jesus knows this, so he sets up this four-step process. We don't give up after the first conversation because time and persuasion matter, especially in a fallen world. Here's what I'm telling you in summary, point two. Don't do the Pontius Pilate move. You're going to be tempted to do it. I'm tempted to do it. But if that first stage of conversations privately between you and the other person don't work, be like Jesus. Keep on going in the hopes that that person will turn and repent. Finally, let's take a look at Matthew 18 again. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh my goodness. Motor on that for a second. Do you see the responsibility God is giving us? Now, what, there's an obvious assumption here, isn't there? This is not Jesus uh, urging us to be tyrants. This is Jesus assuming that if our heart is filled with the desire to move people in the direction God has laid, us, laid out for us, and if our mind is filled with the wisdom that only the Holy Spirit can give us, that when we do work with these people, who are being stubborn and obstinate, 
God's going to get behind us, and he's going to be present with us, and he's going to help us. This is not purely a natural process. It's a supernatural process. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There am I with them. Look, I readily admitted from the outset, and I hope you heard me loud and clear, this is not an easy process. And it will never be easy in our own power, in our own ability to follow what Jesus is saying here, handling obstinate, stubborn, stiff-necked people. But look at what Jesus says at the end. There am I with them. As with all other things, as God told those stiff-necked Israelites many, many times when they were wandering through the wilderness, when they were settling the land, before all that started, when they had to emerge from Egypt, what did God tell them again and again? I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is saying in this also, as you handle tough people, who want to stay in their sins, I will be with you. Here's that passage I promised you before. This is from John 1, verses 9 and 14. Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world, John writes. He calls him the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came in to give us a message so plainly and loudly and clearly that he is called the word in the flesh. Jesus came to be light, John writes, into our dark world, into our dark minds, into our dark hearts. And he made his dwelling among us. You and I are asked by God, the God who redeemed us through Jesus, the God who holds us dear, the God who forgives all of our sins. Sometimes he challenges us to do tough things, to have the tough conversation, to keep going when we want to give up. And just as Jesus persisted and persevered all the way to the cross, remember what he was saying in the Garden of Gethsemane? My, my, my very heart and soul are broken to the point of death in this moment. He's so stressed that he's sweating drops of blood. And yet he doesn't let that get in the way. Why not? Because his heart is for you and me and for all of us. To have us be in heaven with him one day. That's the heart that Jesus wants to impart to each of us for, for each other. Jesus is basically saying perseverance, being a modern-day Shackleton, there's no more important area of your life than you can do that with and in, than in the effort to keep the family together, than in the effort that it takes sometimes when you see a sheep that's wandering, a sheep that's drifting, a sheep that's off course, to go after that sheep. And not just with a single tough conversation, but 
with all four steps if necessary to try to win your brother or sister over and bring them back. And Jesus will go with you. This Jesus who is the word, this Jesus who is our lighthouse as we sang earlier, he will guide your way. This son of God who is full of grace and truth for you and for that wandering sheep, he will go with you because he has made his dwelling among us. Here's your third point. Trust that Jesus is there with us still today and has as much resolve and mercy as he had when he went to the cross for us to make sure that our sins would be forgiven by the shedding of his blood. To deal with the obstinate requires Jesus' firmness, his mercy, and his help. And why do I know this? <laughs> For me personally, maybe you would join me in saying this, I know this because often I have been that obstinate person that Jesus and others came after to restore me to the fold. I needed them. And they came for me because they cared that I was part of the family. Now I'm going to give you something very practical to take home with you. Very practical in this. There is a passage that when I have to have the tough conversation, there's a Bible passage that I will read each and every time before I have to have that tough conversation. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 52. The reference is down at the bottom of the page. I want you to ask yourself today as we close out today's message, is there a tough conversation that's waiting for you? And if there is a tough conversation that's waiting for you, that's maybe been waiting for you for a while, and you would say, ooh, that thing's festered for a while. Pray about having that conversation. Read Ephesians 4.25 to chapter 5, verse 2 before you go have that conversation. And then remember, the goal is always love, to win your brother or sister over. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for, for, for helping us in these tough moments where we need you, tough moments of having conversations that we don't really want to have, and yet our heart won't let us just let go of it because we care about our brother and sister, just as you cared for us first. Lord, help me to be humble as I approach these conversations, realizing that there are many times when I'm obstinate about my sins too and stubborn. I hate it, Lord, when I am the shackleton of sinfulness. Turn my heart around by the power of your Holy Spirit. I repent of my sins and I ask you to help me to look around and ask myself, who could I win over for your cause, the cause of Christ, who could I win over and bring them back into the fold when they are being stubborn over their sins? Lord, I pray this fervently in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen.